Why would you entrust your life to Jesus? Why would you do that? That's really one of the questions that we've been looking at in, in many ways. Um, that's, or, that's one of the questions why we've been looking uh, at the person and the work of Jesus. It's very important for us. And thus far, we've looked at the person of Jesus in different ways. We've seen that he is God. We've seen that he becomes one of us. We've seen that he's an example. We've seen that he's our Lord. We've seen lots of different things about Jesus. And this evening, we're going to look at the authority of Jesus. And I think that's very important. It's a very important question for Christians to consider the authority of Jesus over us in our lives. Uh, It's quite easy to talk about the authority of Jesus kind of theoretically. It's easy to talk about it theologically. Uh, But in reality, what matters is whether he has authority. We we say, Corey was talking last last week about uh, theology and that we're all theologians. The moment moment we say Jesus is Lord, we're theologians. Well, when we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying Jesus has authority over my life uh, because he is worthy of that. And again, I think we can, we can believe that in our heads and we can believe that theologically. But I think the rubber hits the road generally for us uh, when the authority of God is questioned in our lives because it's, it goes against our authority. See, if things are going well for us and if God agrees with us, no problem. We can have, uh, you know, we can talk about God having and the Lord Jesus having authority over lives when actually he's just really acquiescing with what we want. When it's our will, yeah, yeah, God's authority, he agrees with me. But I think the real challenge for us with respect to the lordship of Jesus, the authority of Jesus it's when he says something and we want to go and do something else. When our authority and our lordship says, no, I'm going this way. And let's not think that it's on necessarily big, important, rebellious, sinful issues that that might be. It might be on our interpretation of the Bible because that was the problem with the Jews, wasn't it, here in this passage. So when, when the grace... And the lordship and the authority of Jesus Christ says one thing. And we are saying, no way, Jesus. I want to do this. This is what I want. And that's, I think, when practically, because what you often find from this pulpit is that you'll get the practical implications of truth. Uh, I hope so, anyway. As well as the, the, the reality of the truth as it's given to us. So for a few minutes, we want to look at that this evening, the authority, why he has so much authority and why that authority is really important for us in our lives. The initial crime here for Jesus, because this is a kind of, it's almost like a courtroom scene. Uh, There's a crime has been committed and uh, Jesus defends himself. And then Jesus goes on the prosecution. Jesus goes out and attacks those who... uh, seek to uh, expose him and who he is. So the initial crime that Jesus commits is that he's broken two very important Jewish laws uh, that they regard as being God's laws. He's uh, 
uh, broken the man-made Sabbath laws of the Jews by healing someone on the Sabbath day, a heinous crime. But he also, in calling uh, God his Father and uh, saying what he says about himself with God the Father, is claiming equality with God. And that's a much more serious sin because that's a sin of blasphemy. He is uh, claiming to be uh, God by calling Jesus Father and by saying that they do the same work together. Now, that might not immediately seem um, obvious to us by when he calls him Father that that would make him equal with God because we were told to call Jesus, uh, God Father. But for the Jews, that was something that just didn't happen. Uh, they didn't really uh, have that relationship or that terminological uh, relationship with God uh, and didn't call him Father. And the implications of what Jesus was saying was that he was claiming equality with God, which is why we're told in this passage that they wanted to kill him. They wanted to get rid of him. This religious, God-fearing people wanted to kill Jesus because he was claiming to be the Son of God. So that's the initial crime. They wanted rid of him. They wanted him out of their lives. It's a bit like, it's a different, it's a different clientele because they were religious people, but it's a bit like the prodigal son who, in that story, he also went into a far country because he wanted rid of the father. He basically, when he was taking his inheritance, you know that, that he, want, he basically was saying, I want you dead. I want your money. And the only way I'll get your money is, is either you give it to me or you die. So he wanted the father dead. And in a, in a different way, in a different grouping of people, they were also wanting Jesus dead. They were wanting God. They weren't wanting uh, the authority or the claims of Jesus in their lives. And I think sometimes it might seem a bit melodramatic to talk in these terms, but I think sometimes in our lives we do the same thing. We want Jesus dead in the sense that we don't want, we want to go in a far country. We want to do our own thing. We don't really want Jesus. We just are uncomfortable and uneasy with the authority of Jesus in our lives. We find the whole concept of uh, God's authority in our lives uh, through Jesus Christ just troubling because it's humbling and because it means that we need to act differently from what we naturally act and how we naturally act. So uh, we may be, in maybe less dramatic terms, we also want rid of God uh, in our lives, particularly when God's saying something and we want to do something else. What do we do? We quite often close the Bible. We quite often stop praying and we quite often just go ahead and make our own decision. Because we undermine the authority of Jesus in our lives as Christians and the significance and the importance that he has. So Jesus uh, gives his own defense in this passage that we read in John chapter 5. And he speaks about uh, why he has authority. And he says he has authority in verse 19 because uh, he is the life giver. Verse 21, he says, just as the father raised from the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life. It's just a remarkable claim that Jesus makes in this passage. Uh, it's an amazing uh, um, section of intertwining between the father, God the father, and Jesus Christ. It's a kind of um, uh, uh, an interesting um, passage where the divinity of Jesus and the fatherhood of God and it's not quite the Trinity that's been spoken of because the Spirit isn't mentioned, but there's this, the complexity of the Godhead is being unfolded a little bit in this passage where, you know, the Father can't do without the Son, the Son can, and the Son is, uh, 
submissive to the Father's will. And all kinds of amazing realities are going on that the Father raises from the dead and Jesus raises from the dead. And Jesus gives life and the Father gives life. And there's this just a tremendous language of intertwining between God, the Father, and God, the Son. And uh, Jesus is claiming here to be the one who gives life. Now, that is an astonishing claim of authority, isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, because it's a claim that affects each one of us as living beings this evening. He is saying he is equal with God as the life giver. We know that God is the life giver. It's not, he gifts life, he's, but he's the source of life. All life sources from, comes from God. He's the, that there is no life apart from God. And Jesus is saying that he is uh, equal with the Father in this role. And yet it speaks also of, of distinctive roles and uh, uh, distinctive uh, roles that the, between the Father and the Son. We, we've looked at that previously when we've looked at uh, Christ, uh, God the Son becoming incarnate. But we could say that the Father is God sending and commanding and uh, the Son is God sent and obedient. Both God, but with different roles, particularly in salvation and redempt- in redemption. But tonight, it's significant, and I wanted particularly for our prayer tonight to be a prayer of thanksgiving. Because very often we're quick to ask, we're quick to request, we're quick to demand, and we're slow to give thanks. We're slow to give thanks uh, for the whole of our lives and for the privileges that we have every day, the breath that we breathe, the gifts that we've been given, the bodies that we have, the families that we come from, the life that we give, uh, have been given, and the Bible that tells us about the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that a sense and an attitude of gratitude is re- hugely significant for us when we recognize the authority of Jesus as the one who is the giver uh, of life. And, and more than that, the one who uh, will raise us from the dead uh, if we trust and believe in him he says that in these verses that we read he's the one uh, who uh, gives life and who raises from the dead that's why you know the resurrection is so important that we looked at this morning and why repentance and faith in Jesus Christ is also so significant and so important it's his authority alone one day as a Christian if you die and uh, you lie in the grave one day his voice and his authoritative voice will raise you from the grave and uh, uh, to uh, new life of unbridled joy and blessing that is the degree of authority that Jesus has over your life and the significance that he has and it should uh, I think mold us in our Christian lives to be gracious and humble and to serve him and to follow him. As nobody can come near to the authority that Jesus has and the power that he has and the influence and the significance he will have in your life as a Christian beyond the grave. He, by his authoritative word, will raise you from the dead. No one comes near to him. And yet I think often in our lives, and I speak for myself particularly, often we leave him as a suffering servant. 
We leave him as the one who uh, we call on as a slave when we need him. Uh, One who is a bit player in our lives and is uh, the one who we look to to give us what we want uh, rather than the one before we before whom we come and simply recognize who he is and his authority and his authority that ought to change us and mold uh, the lives that we live. So he's, he's authoritative because he's the one who, uh, by the word of his power, uh, gives life and raises the dead. But he's also authoritative in this passage and he defends himself here because he speaks of himself as the judge of all people. In verse 27, he says, And uh, the Father has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. So again, there's this uh, talk about the Father and the Son and their positions and their authority. The Father gives the Son authority to judge all people. And he's given him the the honor of this position. All judgment is given to him. Everything, all authority and all judgment is is given to him and his judgment is just the crucified saviour has also the significant authority to be the judge of all mankind on that great day again uh, speaks of not a weak and impotent saviour but a great and strong and significant saviour the one who we spoke about or we've looked at over Easter as the one who has uh, died for our sins, uh, was buried and was raised on the third day, that crucified and risen Savior on that day stands on the throne, sits on the throne and judges humanity. And what you want to hear on that day as you face him will be, he's mine. She's mine. She's one who followed me. He's one who followed me. They are ones for whom I died and I've chosen. And uh, that is the word that we want to hear from the authoritative judge of all mankind on that day as uh, we consider our lives. We want to be people who have accepted him as Lord before we will face him as judge. And as Christians, we will all give account to this Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the judge of all mankind, who could not deflect justice on his own son, on his own perfect son, he could not deflect justice because he was reckoning his own son as guilty uh, as a substitute in our place, will be the one who will judge your neighbor and your friend and your colleague and before whom they will stand. And I think that would make us, it ought to make us think of them and look at them differently as all being people who come under the authority of Jesus. I think sometimes we've got a, um, uh, maybe uh, not explicitly, but implicitly, we kind of have our Christianity and our Christian living in a kind of bubble. It's in a kind of bubble. And uh, we live our lives in a Christian bubble. And we don't really think that people who don't believe are affected by it or that it matters to them, that really we're kind of going along in this Christian bubble and we'll go along like that until we die. And that everyone else is just kind of living their lives as they are, 
any old way. And we forget that everyone comes under the authority of Jesus. That he is a great sovereign Lord and that he will judge everyone. So all the people we come into, the people that we judge and think, nah, they'll not believe. They've got no interest. The gospel will never touch their lives. But they are people who will come under the authority of Jesus also and before whom he, uh, they will stand. And I do think it, will, it helps us to look at people differently when we think of them in that light and recognize that we are all... Uh, one of the great phrases that is a completely... I think I've used this before. This, it's a, a great um, uh, street philosopher's statement of, of life that doesn't come from the Bible but is true nonetheless is that we are all Jock Tamsin's bairns. You know, that, that, that's a really good phrase. If you're not Scottish, you might not know it. And it just means we're kind of all in it together. <laughs> we're, all, we're all, it's another one to take home in the palace of us. Uh, we're all Jock Tamsin's bairns, okay? And that's a really good one to think about and to consider. Because that's right. You know, we, we don't point the finger and look at others. And think we're better than them. We don't think it doesn't matter to them. But we realize and we know and appreciate and we understand that all come under the authority of Jesus. And therefore your neighbors and your friends and your colleagues and your mums and your dads and your sisters and your brothers who may be not Christians. We will look at them differently because of that. And this morning when we had a lot of people in church who don't normally come to church, who are not committed to the Christian faith or not believers and they come to church because of a baptism, then we love that. And we pray for their souls and pray that they will hear and come under the beautiful grace of God and the grace of Christ and the message of salvation and the good news and that you will play a part in that and that you will be important in that. He's judge, well, mankind. But he also is someone who speaks, uh, he speaks with authority and uh, that is something, again, that we look to recognize and understand and appreciate in our Christian lives. A couple of times here, he says, uh, uh, the, well, what he says, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. He says it in verse 24. And then he says it again in verse 25. I tell you the truth. Uh, the older people here who, who used to read the, uh, or maybe still do read the authorized version, remember it is verily, verily, I say unto you. Truly, truly, I say to you, he repeated and used this, this declarative, formulaic language which was saying, I'm saying something to you very important. I'm saying something with authority. Uh, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes has eternal life will not be condemned. In this beautiful phrase, you've crossed from death to life. Isn't that a tremendous phrase? That he says, with all authority, those who believe in me have crossed from death to life. Something tangible has happened in their lives. They've moved from a place of being separated from God to a place with them. And then he goes on uh, to say, I tell you the truth, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, time is coming and is now coming. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And so you've got this great declarative truth that Jesus gives, that he speaks and uh, when we hear and respond to his message, this authoritative message, we receive life and we receive fellowship with him and uh, we will be as we mentioned earlier raised from the dead we will hear his voice commanding us out of the grave how authoritative is that commanding us out of the grave you ever been in a graveyard you can shout as loud as you want nothing happens 
We, we have no power over what, hap- what is, you know, it's a, it's a place of the dead. And yet he will speak his voice with the word of his creative power and it will be done. And people say, well, how can that happen? And people have well, disintegrated. People have gone. People will be far away. People have been dead for, dead for hundreds of years. How will they come and be raised? It's the same word of creative power from the very beginning. It's, it's no problem when we genuinely see and believe in the creator God who spoke the world into being. He speaks the world into being and he raises the dead. So often we take the word of God with a pinch of salt. The Bible, God's living word. We, we don't read it. We don't come under its authority. We ignore bits of it that we don't like. We pick and mix the Bible. We don't work at understanding what this living God with his authority is saying to us in our lives We would rather trust our poor and miserable feelings rather than the the declarative word of God. And often we would attribute in our lives to the Holy Spirit guidance which is often no more than simply doing what we want. We do what we want and then we just uh, can uh, clothe it in spiritual language and say, well, this is what God wants me to do. Nothing of the sort. It's just simply what we want to do ourselves and we attribute it to the Holy Spirit. But we haven't looked for and sought and listened to the authority of the Word of God in our lives. Let Him speak with authority. Particularly, let Him speak and be guided and be under His authority when He asks you clearly to do something that in your own heart you don't you want to do something else. Don't look to God's word for, um, to back up what you've already decided you're going to do. If you're looking for guidance, if you're looking for God's authority in your life and God's oversight, then don't just choose what you want to do and then somehow scrabble about the Bible to find something will justify it. And if you don't find any justify it, say, well, it's God's will anyway. But, Be open and be humble and be ready for God to say, no, look, that's not what I want from you. This is what my word says. This is what I want from you. Don't walk in any other path. And we will find then his authority blesses and guides us. And just very briefly as we close, he also, not only in this prosecution does he, or in this defense does he, Uh, defend himself with these truths. He also supplies witnesses. You know, that's very important, isn't it? And he speaks a lot in this passage about the different people that testify to his authority. And and very briefly, he talks about uh, God, you know, being the one who uh, is authoritative over his life in verse uh, 32. Uh, If I testify myself, my testimony is not valid. There's another who testifies in my favor. And then he goes on to speak about uh, God later on as being the one in verse 37 who tests the Father who has sent me has himself testified concerning me. And then he talks about John the Baptist, just another human being, I know, but he uses John the Baptist because the Jews respected him. The Jews thought he was a prophet. So they thought Jesus thinks it's worth using John the Baptist, you know. You know, I mentioned that because John was a lamp that burned and gave light and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. John testified about Jesus. 
and then the works of Jesus themselves are testimony. I've testified weightier than that of John um, uh, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish in which I'm doing testifies that the Father has sent me. So the work of Jesus testifies to authority. The fact that that's kind of his signs or his miracles. Um, you know, the, he turned water into wine. Uh, he, the five loaves and the two fishes feeding so many people. The calming of the waves and the sea. The raising of the dead. His own death, his own resurrection, these signs, these wonders, these testify to his authority. They testify to who he is, as do, verse 39, the scriptures that testify to him, the Old Testament. And we've looked at that quite a lot in finding out about Jesus, that the Old Testament testifies about Jesus, points to, points forward to Jesus. And the interesting thing is that the Jewish the Jewish uh, religious leaders, they knew, they dil- Jesus said, you know, you diligently study the scriptures. It wasn't that they were ignorant of the Bible. They diligently studied the scriptures, but you were blind. You refused to come to me to have life. So, you know, the challenging thing is it's easy to be near to Jesus. It's easy to have an open Bible at one level. Um but not hear the voice of Jesus and be blind and be as lost as anyone who is far from God because we need to see Jesus and hear Jesus and be under the authority of Jesus when we uh, are in the scriptures. So the question is, are we, are we content as Christians to live under his lordship? To say more than uh, Jesus is Lord, but to live it. And to live it when his path says this way, and our path says, but I want to go this way. Are we willing for Jesus to be Lord when that's the case? In the crossroads of our lives, my will, God's will. Maybe it's in business. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your studies. Maybe it's in the use of money. Maybe it's in your thought life. Maybe it's in your imagination. Are we willing to say God's will? No, I'm going my own way. Because that's when his lordship matters. We want to be angry. Do we want to be bitter? Do we want to be jealous? Do we want to be lustful? Are we willing to just hold on to these things? Because that's what we want. Or are we willing to have his authority speak to us? So he finishes with this challenge, doesn't he, to the uh, Jews, the Jewish religious leaders of his days, of his day. And he says, you know, where are your hearts? You know, I do not accept praise and remember, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. So where are our hearts tonight? And where's the love of God in them? I'm not talking about knowledge. I'm not talking knowing about the love. I'm talking about where is the love of God in our hearts tonight. And then he goes on to say, where are our priorities? You know, verse 43 and 44, you know, he, he says that they listen to other people And they want praise from others, but they don't want praise from God. You know, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God. Where are our priorities? Who do we want praise from in our lives? Under whose authority are we with respect to being people pleasers or God pleasers? Because we regard his authority or otherwise.
So where are our hearts tonight? Where are our priorities? And where also is our hope? You know, that last section, verse 45 to 47, you know, I'll not accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. But if you believed Moses, you would believe me. So their, their hope was set on Moses, and they, these lead, religious leaders, but they didn't really even know Moses because Moses gave up the pleasures of Egypt because he believed in Christ, the Christ who was to come. And his life points uh, to this Messiah, to the Savior. So their hope was misplaced and was misguided and was wrong. And the question is, again, they were so near and they had so many privileges. And is your hope tonight in being here, in your religion, in your legalistic works, in the law, in your orthodoxy, in your cold orthodoxy? My cold orthodoxy? What is our hope in? Our hope is always to be in Jesus Christ because he is God and he has great authority. I think we, we all are people who need to watch and to be graceful and to be under Christ's authority in our lives. Let's pray briefly. Father, we pray that you would uh, help us to live our lives under your authority. So often we know that um, when the rubber hits the road, it's our will that we want to do. And uh, we often battle with yours. And we make excuses for which we ask for forgiveness. We say that you're harsh and oppressive and it's difficult and uh, nobody will know and uh, it's only a little thing we're doing differently or wrong or separate from you. But give us the wisdom and the grace and the humility in our hearts, particularly in our hearts, to come under your lordship, to say in the most remarkable way, as Jesus said um, in the garden, not my will but yours be done. And help us to do that. And help us to be lovers of God and lovers of uh, one another, to love our neighbor as ourselves, uh, which often is the great authoritative outworking of grace, which uh, exposes our selfishness and our self-centeredness. So forgive us when we fail to see these things, and forgive us, Lord God, when we don't come under your authority when we willfully sin or we willfully go against you. May we just see how much you love us and how much you care and how much your great laws are there for our good. And therefore, may we uh, pleasurably come under your authority. Help us in these things, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.